I think we're all called to be sustainable and um, live on the land in a way that's respectful and you know helps future generations be successful and survive. But I think also not all of us are called to be renewable energy people or... This is a Life in Motion audio experience, a podcast about travel, action sports, culture, and more. What's up and welcome to episode 83 of Life in Motion. I've got John Childs with me who is a regenerative agriculturist. Some of his projects include capturing methane from a landfill to power greenhouses and working on a tree, creek, and spring restoration project. I'm excited to learn why these projects are so important and how he makes them happen. Uh, First of all, John, thanks for being on the show today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks, Jeremy. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. Um, you know, we, we kind of had this connection from one of our previous guests and she said, hey, you should you should uh, check out this dude. Uh, you know, he's doing some awesome things. So uh, I'm excited to have you on and kind of learning more about that. Um, but before we kind of get into all of your doing, kind of like what I mentioned in the in the little brief intro, let's start with, you know, who you are, where you're from, where you grew up, hobbies, those kind of things. Kind of what, what led you kind of into this this lifestyle that you're in now? Sure. Uh, well, my background is I'm from uh, Springfield, Missouri, uh, in the Ozarks, and um, came come from a pretty large family, um, middle of seven kids, and uh, I grew up in the Ozarks, and um, you know went to local high school and went to Missouri State University here in town studying biology. Um, did a lot of sustainability. Um, related things and started some sustainability club and did events. We did something called Ecapalooza, which was a <laughs> fun music. I know. <laughs> I, lo- I love that name. <laughs> Everybody's I was actually, I'm on the board for Springfield community gardens and they, they sent a letter that said we're doing garden Palooza. So I guess everybody's doing a Palooza <laughs> these days. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> not, not as fun as the original Lollapalooza, but we do our best with uh, sustainability and solar panels and stuff. Anyway, so I got involved with that. Uh, and so I've always been really interested in sustainability. Concurrent with that, um, I've had some great opportunities as a child. We, um, you know, we lived in Springfield, but every summer um, my family would volunteer at a camp in Minnesota, okay. um, a family camp. And so I think from an early age, working at camps, and that kind of community participation, community building was really burnt into my DNA. Uh, and that continued for me where I did a lot of that in college where I worked in camps in California in the summer and after college at kind of regenerative retreat centers in Washington State and camp in New York. And um, I was an RA in college. <clears throat> and so a lot of that, I, so I think, you know, when I look back at my life, excuse me, when I look back on my life, a lot of it is centered around uh, a community building. And I think a lot of that came from a desire to find, um, uh, kind of create a community, create a sense of belonging. Um, And so um, after college, I I moved out West um, and was a part of a place called Holden Village, which is an off the grid retreat center in okay. this state of Washington. Um, Holden Village, the background is kind of interesting. It's a Lutheran retreat center that was once a mining town, uh, an old mining town in the middle of uh, the Cascades in Washington that was um, abandoned and then acquired by the Lutheran church in this unusual circumstance and became a completely remote, uh, completely sustainable hydroelectric powered little mining village. So imagine the Swiss chalet mining village in the middle of the mountains with a bunch of weird uh, <laughs> sustainable hippie types. So I fit right in. So I spent a couple of years there um, doing their hydroelectric power and water treatment, um, driving a school bus of all things, which was terrifying on the snowy mountain roads. Oh, and I'm sure. <laughs> it was one of those places that um, I think, you know, it's, it's just like a small town. So you need a plumber, you need like electricians. And I feel like <laughs> I was 
so unqualified to do all that stuff. The joke is, you know, people want to know what's your qualification to be a plumber at Holden or a hydroelectric and pretty much, well, if you have a pulse, you could do it. So <laughs> I felt well qualified and uh, did some really crazy stuff that probably is not OSHA approved as they say. Uh, but I learned a lot. And I think <clears throat> the reason that I did that is, and this has been a trend for most of my life is, um, I don't know you know the book, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, um, which, yeah. which a lot of people read that kind of talks about how do you look at the world and how do you see yourself as someone who can generate income for themselves and frame how you engage with business and work. And the book is interesting. I, and frankly, I read it. I was in Australia um, after college working on a mango farm, which was a whole adventure of comedy of errors. Uh, but I remember reading this book, and one thing that he talks about is work to learn. So whenever you do a job, don't think necessarily about, I need to make money, but think about, can I work? Can I learn something from this? And so that's been a big credo for me. So at Holden, you know, I think I made like $400 a month, but I was learning a lot about renewable energy and systems there and working with some really remarkable people that are not, were not only skilled in what they were doing, but had a life philosophy that was a... I would say a, a gracious way of living on the earth that was community minded. And um, I think that was, that was an equal, an equally important part of it. So I learned a lot about hydro. Um, and then from that, I kind of decided that the jobs that I, I took was something that I could learn a lot from. So after that, I worked, um, I worked uh, in sustainable kind of green construction in Hood River. And I learned a lot about uh, building a bakery. And then I got an unusual job through that building windows and doors with um, a old school window and door craftsman <laughs> who um, this guy is, <clears throat> he's probably 80 now. I haven't talked to him for a while, but he was his background is he back in the sixties, he went down to this Mexican village. You could only get there by uh, donkey basically. And he built a small town by hand, a church, a school using all hand tools, including like cutting the boards with a saw and wow. planing them down with hand tools and spent a couple of years down there during the Vietnam war. This is a guy that used to hang out with Ansel Adams, you know, in his kind of bohemian days in San Francisco and, <laughs> Again, someone who, you know, probably one of the best window and door makers in the country and also an incredibly kind, gracious, that um, when I look back, um, it was important for me at that point in my life. I was in my, I'm 38 now, so I was in my late 20s to have some formative experiences where I felt self-sufficient and knowing how to build stuff with my hands and grow food and do electrical stuff, um, kind of back to the lander stuff. But I think concurrent with that, whether I realized it or not, it was working with people who I considered people of great character, community builders, generous with their time. That was equally important for the formation of my character and, you know, who, how I wanted my life to be about. So those were really interesting jobs. I remember though, if you've ever done construction, it's really hard on your body and you're hanging out with, um, some of the people were really great. A lot of the people were, frankly, <laughs> parolees, felons, people that were just figuring out their lives that it can be kind of a depressing ecosystem to be in that's pretty tough on your body. And what would kind of a scarcity mindset that prevails for a lot of those places, if you're familiar with that term. Yeah. Anyway, I was driving a compactor. This was probably about 10 years ago. And compactors are the most, you know, you're basically compacting soil. So it's like, a chimp could do what I was doing. And uh, so I'm doing this and um, texting on my phone with some girl because <laughs> But I remember thinking, this is awful. I have to do something different from driving a compactor, you know? And um, lo and behold, I had run into a college professor that said, um, I was walking my dog and I was just back in Springfield for a couple of weeks. And he said, John, I, uh, I think you need to go get your MBA. Uh, 
in sustainable business. And I said, well, what are you talking about? I said, John, I wouldn't send you to just any MBA program. There's this program called Bainbridge Graduate Institute in Seattle that you need to check out. And so anyway, that, that kind of came up in my mind as I was being jarred by this compactor and um, more out of desperation than anything, I, I drove up from Oregon to Seattle and checked out this program. And again, back to the community building, uh, went and visited this program and it was such an overwhelming sense of joy and community and people using business, not just to make money, but business as a tool to create positive social and environmental social change that I was just there for an afternoon. And I thought, these are my people, sign me up. So then I signed up for my MBA and uh, did that and got involved with uh, being a TA at the program, um, which was great. And there's a bunch of other crazy stuff with that. Uh, I got involved with the startup finance group that was doing environmental funding of clean tech, um, sustainable startups, kind of early stage venture capital, angel investing. Um, and it was a great, it was a great experience and learned a lot about that. Yeah, that's, well, that's, <laughs> that's quite a story, kind of the different experiences and opportunities that, that you had just sort of in that, you know, kind of transitioning from, from the camp, working in the camps growing up. And then it sounds like just pretty much every step from there, you, you took every opportunity that you had. And I love the perspective, you know, that you took from the book that you mentioned, as far as, you know, if I'm going to do a job, whether it's a glorious job or an inglorious job, as long as I'm learning something to kind of, you know, further, further my own understanding and, you know, maybe what I want to do eventually down the future, it's, you know, it's a win-win no matter what that pay is. Um, so, so that's, that's pretty cool kind of hearing that. So the, the community aspect of it, you know, as you mentioned, you know, when you were a kid going to the camp, like that sort of, that, that made sense. But what, what was it about like the whole idea around sustainability and stuff that kind of, cause it sounded like you were pretty interested in that at a, at a fairly young age and then kind of grew into it with these different opportunities and that kind of stuff. But was that more just like you were reading about it and learning about it? Or was there some other influence like your parents or a friend or like what, what made you kind of dive deep into that and like, kind of, as you said, kind of trend throughout over the years, to obviously where you're at now as well about kind yeah, of that focus. Yeah, yeah. I can talk about that. So uh, a, a couple of things, and I think, um, I mean, you know this from your life and a lot of your listeners know this, the, the decisions we make are often, sometimes it's one person says something or it's one influence, but a lot of times it's recurring like themes throughout your life, of things coming and people coming in and being kind of nudged in one direction. And so for sustainability, there are a lot of reasons why I got involved with sustainability. My dad and uncle <clears throat> were early sustainability pioneers. Um, their first company, they, they got into a co company that was hydronic floor heating, which is basically using hot water to heat the floors, oh. which became their big business, but before their primary business. But before that, in the 80s, they were uh, selling solar panels and kind of early adopters of that regenerative sustainability stuff. So, um, and I've always been environmental and sustainability advocates who also have a strong business background. So I think kind of going back to the school at what's called BGI, Bainbridge Graduate Institute, that resonated with me because that was kind of the way that I had been raised, business as a source for good, even though they didn't really talk about it that way. So I think for sustainability, um, a lot of that was my dad and family. And in Springfield where, um, and you know this, Jeremy, because you're in the area, it's an interesting place that is a fairly conservative area um, that also has an interesting subculture of back to the lander kind of Ozark hippies. Yeah. Um, and so I just, th there was a strong cohort in Springfield, a small group of really passionate environmentalists and sustainability people that I just spent a lot of time with because of my family that I think that was pretty influential as well. And I think it kind of goes back to the idea of working to learn. Another thing that I've learned is just because I'm interested in a lot of different things, um, I could be happy doing any number of things and I've done any number of things. And so sometimes the deciding factor is not really what I'm doing, but one is it values aligned, but it's also like, who am I doing it with? And I've just found people in sustainability, regenerative food, community stuff, are just really fun, interesting people to hang out with. But to answer your question, it was probably a big family influence. And then another thing was, 
I was, um, I think that in life, particularly when I was younger, I would have a lot of anxiety about who, you know, what am I going to be when I grow up? And I still kind of think about that. What am I going to be when I grow up? But when I was in college, I was studying uh, biology and I had a professor who I really liked um, and respected. He was a cell biology person and I worked in his lab and frankly was really bad at it <laughs> working in the lab, but I didn't have the imagination and creativity or the courage to think maybe this is not a good fit for me. I was just like, this is my major, you know, I'm a biology person. I need to work in a lab and I need to push through to become a professor because my ego was telling me like, this was, you know, this was what, you know, life could look like. Uh, long story short, I basically failed organic chemistry and um, I was in tears uh, talking to my friend, Keith, um, who's always been a good friend for me through college and through life, who's kind of an adventure guy himself. And I was just saying, you know, Keith, what am I going to do? I can't do organic chemistry. And he was like, John, you have so many other gifts, community builder, blah, 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 all that stuff. Be open to the world and things will show up. Anyway, the next day, my dad was telling me about this great um, climate change conference in San Francisco. And I'd worked in California the summer before. And I was like, well, can I go with you? Because I secretly just wanted to see my friends in California. <laughs> I didn't really care about the conference. <laughs> uh, anything for a free trip, right? Yeah, right. So I went to that, but I was blown away by the imperative of climate change and the passion. And just that this was like 2007, 2008. Like we got to do something. So I think that rekindled the fire. When I got back, um, there was this, and she probably will never listen to the show, so I can be honest about this. There was this girl that I really liked uh, who was into recycling, who was another RA at college. And I was like, hmm, I bet I could, <laughs> embarrassing talking about, uh, I bet I could get a date with her. And so we could get together and talk about recycling or some stuff like that. And so I, you know, I called her up and, you know shaky voice on the phone when we had to call people <laughs> up on the phone and uh she was like who is this and I was like you know this is John and she uh I said I want to get together and tell you about this conference I went to and, you know playing it cool and got coffee with her so I had my ulterior motive of getting a date with this girl lo and behold what happened was turns out she was really into sustainability and she was like John and she's also very uh very persuasive um and still as she's doing a lot of sustainability stuff. Um, she was like, John, we need to start a sustainability club. And I was like, okay, you know, I wasn't going to say to know that. And but it <laughs> turns out and nothing ever happened. And, you know, it was, and it was for the better for everybody, but um, that got me back into sustainability on the campus. And then we started our sustainability club and did the Ecopalooza. And I think that also was really important. So you know, another thing I've learned is sometimes our, our dumb ideas and intentions, often the universe intervenes and has other plans and can even take our um, sophomoric ideas and turn them into something better if we're uh, just willing to take the steps. So both family, um, girls, you know, hanging out with people, those were all very important influences for sustainability getting involved. And then there's other stuff, obviously, but that was that was an early influence for me. Yeah. And, and that, and that totally makes sense. You know, you got the girl, got the family, everything, you know, that influenced it. And it's cool that your, that your, um, your dad and your family was like you said, kind of early pioneers of that. I mean, I, 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 you know, I was born in 91, so obviously I have no clue what the eighties were like, but when you said, you know, they're working on sol getting solar panels up and stuff in the eighties, like, I, I feel like that would, uh, it was very ahead of its time, I guess. Um, so so that's that's kind of that's cool kind of had rooted in that um so what so so you mentioned you know you've you've been to different places washington oregon australia um all these other various other places um kind of throughout that journey of you know you you realizing your love about the, the sustainability um so so what made you end up coming back to springfield after experiencing all those, was it, was it family? Was it, you saw a, a better opportunity here, like to, that you could bring all your experiences back here or, or, or maybe it just was for no specific reason, but I'm just curious if there was a, something that kind of stood out to you to come to Springfield. And I also asked that because I'm actually a, a transplant from Virginia. I've been living here for about eight years now in Springfield, but um, yeah, so I'm just curious what, what kind of, 
opportunities you saw here coming back um, for what your your sort of passion is? Yeah, no, that's a good question. So um, this was in 2000. So I went to school in Seattle for my MBA in 2012. Um, and then I worked, graduated in 2014. And then I worked for about three or four years there with a, an angel, clean tech angel group. And so kind of startup finance for sustainability. Um, and I was working for the school as a postgraduate TA um, and then also doing construction too to kind of pay the bills. So the thing with the angel group is a volunteer board position that I managed their screening and due diligence, which is basically companies apply. And I would pick the companies that would come in and manage the investment process uh, for the people. Uh, so it was a great learning experience. Again, you know, working to learn, I was learning a lot about startups and startup finance and entrepreneurship. Um, concurrent with the teaching and the hammering nails to pay the bills. Um, so um, I was doing that for a couple, a while and learning a lot, but was growing increasingly um, dissatisfied, I think, with being in Seattle and kind of where I was in life. Um, I think with investment stuff for me, um, I think at a deeper level, I, I was learning a lot and I had a certain, you know, cachet because I was working in this cool emerging field and I could say I was working in startup finance, which was basically true. Um, but I think I felt a deeper sense of dissatisfaction of not being in the game in this much of creating stuff, building stuff. Um, and, um, yeah, so I was just restless, actually. I, I wanted to contribute in a more substantial way of creating my own thing. And my, so it kind of started with my dad. My dad is a really interesting person. You know, he started this, uh, his companies and uh, has been a lifelong entrepreneur and community builder and inventor. And so big influence on my life. Whenever I was at the grad school, um, he visited me, you know, my last semester just to check it out. And he loved it so much. You know, he was just, he's a very extroverted, uh, fun person. He loved it so much. He actually signed up to join the MBA program, <laughs> <laughs> As a, you know, retired, uh, semi-retired 64 year old <laughs> entrepreneur, which he didn't tell me about. So he, he signed up for the, the MBA program and, um, I also signed up to be a TA. And so uh, a couple of weeks before I went back to Seattle, because I was back in the summer for a few months, just helping out with stuff on our farm. I found out my dad was <laughs> in your class, going to be a student and my student of all things. And I was going to be a TA, <laughs> so, which was wonderful because it was an opportunity to pay him back for all the right? <laughs> awful work projects he made me do as a child, you know, brick lane and you know, painting the house and, endless Saturdays <laughs> raking leaves. So uh, anyway, so in a weird uh, series of events, my dad goes back to school and I end up being his TA and um, plotting my revenge. So <laughs> I, that was a wonderful experience. And, um, and my dad loves to talk and he's a, you know, really masterful presenter, but I would, you know, he'd, we'd have presentations where you have to do a four minute presentation to quote unquote investors. And I knew my dad would go over. So I ordered a stop sign from Amazon, you know, for him. So whenever he went over, I would hold it up and I would say, Mr. Childs, you know, your time is up because in the real world, investors expect you to hold to this time constraint you know, laugh, and everybody would laugh and, you know, we would all have a good time. So he's very good natured. Um, um, but so I think that goes to say that I had some experience um, working with my dad and we worked together on the startup investments also. So um, I have a lot of respect for him, but I also had a, a good working relationship with him. So I'm growing a little bit dissatisfied. For, so fast forward four years, 2018, 2017, I'm a little dissatisfied with Seattle and I want to get more in the game of entrepreneurship. My dad tells me about this really interesting project that he's working on, which is the greenhouse that we'll talk about using the waste heat. And um, he needed some help building, um, whenever you do a startup, a big part of it is something called the pro forma, which is a financial model that basically says how much money you're gonna make, how much money do you need? And 
It can be as easy as, you know, something people scratch out on the back of an envelope, which is what a lot of people do, or it can be a little bit more involved um, where you research and actually talk to people that would buy your product. So we wanted to do it right. And so he recruited me to come back to Springfield to work on this pro forma. And so I think my reason for coming back to Springfield was um, in Seattle, I was you know, an unusual background, but not incredibly unusual. And so as a result, it was harder to get in the game and be involved in a more substantial way because I was kind of, you know, big, little fish, big pond. Coming back to Springfield, there was so much work and there is so much work that needed to be done with my skill set and my background and experience. Um, I felt like I could add a little bit more value and really be a leader in a way that, um, was, yeah, it was important for me. And so, yeah, the, the Noble Hill project brought me back to the Ozarks and uh, yeah, it's been really difficult and challenging, but I've also learned a lot and um, yeah, the rest is history. That's awesome. Well, I, I will say, first of all, I, I don't think that there's many people that um, can say that they were the, the TA to their father or any parent um, which is, is absolutely hilarious to me and awesome at the same time. But, um, and, and it's, and it's cool that he kind of, you know, had that project for you to, you know, Hey, we, we should do this together. And, and to your, to your point, um, like I said, I, you know, I'm originally from, from Virginia. My wife is from here. She, she drug me out here about eight or nine ish years ago, however long it's been. Um, but, but since my, my brief time here, you know, I, I've, personally noticed you know kind of it's it's the the growth of Springfield and kind of shifting in that direction with different individuals different businesses that kind of thing that are that are kind of reimagining kind of Springfield and kind of the area around it kind of to to your point of what you're saying so the opportunity there obviously um you know makes a ton of sense so um, with that, let's let's talk a little bit more about kind of those uh, you know specific projects that we just led up to, and kind of you know what what exactly are they? How how are you or how are you making them happening? What are the benefits to the community? Um, you know, kind of all kind of the, that scope of things. Yeah, um, yeah. So we'll start with the greenhouse project. So the working title is, and we haven't built it yet. We're fundraising and. Okay. All that stuff, but the project is called Noble Hill Farms, um, and so just a very brief background. Um, the city of Springfield has a power plant that uses waste methane from the landfill up at Noble Hill, which is north of Springfield. Okay. And one of the byproducts of the landfill is methane, and so they burn that to generate electricity. And whenever you burn stuff, you generate a lot of waste heat. So um, one of the biggest costs of running a hydroponic greenhouse, which is a way of growing greenhouse that's a produce that's more efficient than growing it in the soil. So it's about 10 times more productive per square foot um, and you can control the environment. It's really the trend of leafy greens and uh, salad production. <clears throat> so the idea was the city thought, how can we take this waste and turn it into a resource? They said they could you know, site up to eight acres of hydroponic greenhouses on the land site. And so they put out what's called a request for a proposal and appeal to developers around the country to say, hey, we've got this waste heat, we've got this land, we want someone to put up a proposal to use it and grow greens, to grow jobs and um, <clears throat> work on our local agricultural stuff. So my dad and I, and then uh, Matt O'Reilly, who is um, part of the O'Reilly automotive family and a big sustainability advocate himself, he lives in Bentonville, but he started Farmers Park which is our big farmer's market here and really one of the best farmer's market in the country. So he's a very forward thinking uh, sustainability person himself. The three of us put together this plan to build this greenhouse. Um, and so um, the basic idea of it is it's a hydroponic greenhouse that uses the waste heat from the power plant and but it's more than a greenhouse we talked to a lot of you know we we decided we wanted to do this and we realized um we mike and i talked to my dad mike and i talked to hundreds of people in the community buyers at hy and large stores and local farmers and all these people and we realized that 
the challenges of local small scale agriculture are so much bigger than just a greenhouse. And so we thought kind of going back to the sustainability uh, permaculture idea, how could we create a business that supports the viability of local farmers and restores their ability to be successful in the way that Springfield and the Ozarks were once one of the leading small farming communities in the nation. So Mike and I were out in um, Washington giving a pitch near Seattle and, you know, we asked them because Washington's the apple state, you know, who do you think was the leading apple producer in the nation 100 years ago? They were like, Washington. No, it was actually Missouri. So Missouri was once a leading apple producer, tomato producer uh, around the Ozarks. So we have this in DNA of really successful small farming people are struggling right now right now with that so we thought how can we create a systems-based business approach business for the greater good anchored around this greenhouse to restore the viability of small farmers and that market ecosystem that's necessary for for them to thrive so after a lot of work we basically came up with a three-pronged plan a hydroponic greenhouse that uses the waste heat to grow produce for large buyers um, and the profits from that will support uh, what's called a food hub which helps farmers access larger markets so if you're a farmer and selling at the farmer's market the next step beyond that is to selling to grocery stores and restaurants um it's really difficult to do that because you can't just show up with a box of you know beets at a large food distributor warehouse you need systems in place so the food hub basically bridges the gap between farmers that want to grow and buyers that want to buy and then it's also really difficult to start farming. It's almost impossible to start farming in America today if you didn't inherit a farm or have half a million dollars to do that. And so the next component of what we're doing is an ag accelerator, which basically helps young farmers get started by growing produce on leased land under mentorship and establishing a commercial track record so they can qualify for bank financing and loans and do that. So it's a really ambitious project um, and it is, uh, all these elements have been done successfully, the Ag Accelerator, the Food Hub, the Greenhouse. We are the first people in the country to bring them all together. And we're gonna start with the Greenhouse, get that profitable and then add the other things. So it's a pretty ambitious project, but I think it's part of a different way of looking at business, which is more systems, sustainable, ecological, with people as the primary beneficiaries and not necessarily uh, investors and other places. But so one update on that project, originally the plan was to do it with the city of Springfield and that still might work. But um, yeah, that just like any business, it probably won't be at the, it may not be at the landfill. There's a lot of things that are going on right now. So just to be clear, but the still premise of it using wasted heat, which you could use waste heat from a data center an industrial facility. Um, yeah, that could still work. But so that's the idea, a greenhouse using waste heat, profits from it support young farmer training and market opportunities for farmers. So right now where we are with that is um, we're fundraising for the greenhouse. It's about a $20 million project. Oh, wow. And um, we're raising part of that in equity with um, family offices and foundations and individuals around here and talking to other people around the country um, and talking to the USDA and U.S. Department of Agriculture. So, yeah. So that's yeah. what we're doing. No, that's awesome. That's it, it, you know, it's it's cool to be able to, to to reuse that energy, like you said in the first place. But then also, you know, you're taking a step farther by kind of you know, like you say, kind of building that community, creating those connections, um, and filling the disconnect almost in, in some instances of you know bringing up sort of that that next generation yeah. um, that might not have me, the opportunity it, to maybe i could just be in because i talk about this all the time sometimes I, I i need to fill in the gap so a, a couple of things i think about with this project why i think it's interesting is that using waste heat and unused land you know that is something that what we're doing is transforming wasted resources into jobs into food into new opportunities and i think there's another bigger story um that I don't say, I never say wasted people, but there's a lot of people in our community um, who have a strong work ethic and a desire to contribute, but don't necessarily fit in with the existing job paradigm that for a lot of those people working in a greenhouse or working in farming can be very therapeutic. We talked to teachers at Springfield Public School District. There's a lot of young people 
that kind of struggle in a classroom setting that whenever they, they tell us whenever they visit a farm or a greenhouse, it's like a whole new kid that becomes alive. And I think realizes on a deep level that even if they struggle in class, um, there's something bigger for them that might involve farming or working in a greenhouse. And so I think why I'm passionate about this kind of going back to the people, the greenhouse, the business is a tool to help people live better lives. We want to create opportunities for, to realize, to kind of amplify the unrealized potential of young people and people in rural areas to have meaningful employment and entrepreneurial opportunities that we're not just transforming wasted resources, but we're helping realize the potential of people who otherwise, you know, might struggle finding jobs. So that's the big part of why I do this is creating opportunities for people and why I frankly we've been working on this for four years and <laughs> a lot of <laughs> Well, a lot of year loss as a result. Of it. <laughs> well, I mean, and to your point, you know, you got to have that that passion behind it, and that's and that's awesome too. Trying to trying to switch that mindset um, for for the younger generations that might not know that they might enjoy that. And and I and I and I love the point where you you know you bring up well, you know, maybe so and so isn't good in school, but they might be good doing this, or they might be doing you know whether that's like a trade or in this case, you know, working with their hands with the farm and the uh, greenhouse and that kind of stuff that there, that there are other opportunities kind of outside of that realm of, you know, what, what typical school might look like. Cause it doesn't look the same for everybody if we're being honest yeah. with, you know, but to your point, that doesn't mean that, that those individuals can't make an impact. They can't contribute to their, their community. They can't do something, that, that, that they can't find their own passion because, because of X, Y, and Z. So, so giving that opportunity and working with the schools, like you said, and, and getting that feedback, at least, um, you know, that's, that's actually a really awesome perspective to take it to um, as well. Cause then it's just kind of all in all encompassing from, from that aspect. Yeah. Yeah. There are no wasted people. I mean, everybody, I mean, I think the whole idea of, from sustainability, one principle of permaculture, which is a form of like living on the land and planting trees and kind of working with the land is that um, in ecosystems, waste is always food. And so, I mean, I, part of it is like, we are living in a crazy time of climate change and it's just gonna get crazier. Like one reason, one reason I left the West is frankly, the smoke was getting so bad, I couldn't handle it. And now it's to the point where in the summer times, you just can't go outside sometimes. Yeah. Um, and so climate change is upon it. There's no denying it. And we need to find ways to live more in tune with the land and frankly, more in tune and humanely with each other. And so part of that is providing meaningful vocation for people that is more in line with the future we want to create. And so um, the reason we've been working on this for so long, um, I, I never you know, I went to a school that was all about, oh, we're going to change the world, you know, with our sustainable MBAs and everybody thinks it's going to happen in three weeks. And it actually takes <laughs> an average four to 20 years to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or never. I mean, it might be more than our lifetimes, but that really is the passion that sustains me is this is not just a cool science experiment. It's not just a, you know, innovative business thing, but it's really about um, whatever context we find ourselves and we can be contribute to that. And I have a, an unusual skill set of being from the Ozarks and understanding the language of conservative Bible Belt culture that is also <laughs> very entrepreneurial um, in learning how to talk about regenerative agriculture and sustainability in a way that can be understood and motivate people. Um, it's very difficult, but it's something that I think is worth doing that, um, you know, Mike and I feel like this is a very challenging project, but it's something that um, if someone else, other people can do it and could do it, but they're not necessarily going to do it. And so, yeah, this is a unique opportunity for us to use our connections and skill sets and to do something really good for the community. It can really uplift a lot of people's lives. So that is, um, I, I, there have been times in my life where, um, you know, when I was, Towards the end of Seattle, again, I was volunteering. It just seems so strange. I was working for a venture angel group, volunteering for them, and I could barely <laughs> pay my bills. And I, I remember uh, I had to sell my car to pay rent 
which was, you know, really a tough experience. Um, and I remember thinking this is very stressful, which is the reality of a lot of people in America today that, you know, there's more people than you realize that are just on the edge. And I come from a fairly privileged background um, that this is stressful. And I want to be in a position where I want to be stressed about stuff that's worth being stressed about. I'd rather not be stressed about rent. I want to be stressed about creating change and helping people. And this next chapter of my life, what I'm doing now has been very stressful in a good way, but I feel like um, Billie Jean King, you know, she's the, the tennis player. She once said, uh, pressure is a privilege, you know, because it means you're at the table making decisions and doing cool stuff that I feel as hard as it's been really a privilege to be able to contribute to the community and be in the game of helping people. So yeah, that's, that's been really motivational for me. Yeah, that's all. And, and yeah, that's awesome. All those points and everything. And I'm excited to kind of see how that, um, how things, you know, develop with that, you know, as, as you, you continue on through that, that process of fundraising and, and securing everything else that needs to be done with that. Um, so uh, there's a, another project that, um, uh, that, that Marissa had, had mentioned as well as a, uh, was it a tree Creek and spring restoration project? Um, which I wanted to talk on. Cause that's something, like I said, she, when she pointed out to, to reach out to you, those, that's another, uh, side of the coin that she mentioned. So what, what is that project like? Cause obviously besides this, this, um, this big greenhouse project you're working on and everything like that, you, you know, I'm sure there's other things you're doing this probably being one of them. So let's talk about that for a little bit. Sure. Yeah. So that's um, my family um, has a farm west of Springfield um, near a place called Bodark, which um, is boys D arc, but you know, French word, everybody just calls it Bodark. <laughs> so, Francophiles and rural Missouri. And, <laughs> um, but yeah, Bodark is just a small, I think there's like four people that live there, but we have a, farm that is um, a really interesting property. It's um, been the family for about 40 years. My grandparents bought it. My dad, um, who I've been working with, used to be a timber framer. So he built this really cool timber frame house. And it's a beautiful land that has um, springs and caves and creeks and pasture land and all kinds of really interesting ecosystems. My uncle Dan uh, built um, a lead platinum um, home about 10 years ago. And I worked on that, doing some of the heating and cooling on it, which was, again, speaking of being an unqualified, working on the most, probably the most complicated <laughs> heating system, residential heating system in the country. And I'm not exaggerating because <laughs> there was a lot of really crazy <laughs> stuff. Anyway, so there's been a lot of, you know, glorified science experiments around sustainability and you know my dad and uncle being such entrepreneurs and inventors and kind of wacky eclectic um people uh, and i mean that complimentary because i'm kind of in that boat so anyway the farm has become this place for us to experiment with different ways of living on the land um and so the website you can check out is called rock span farms and i'm sure you'll have a link in show notes or whatever but um that is the website for all of our families kind of ecological farm experiments on this property. So you look at the farm, the background of it is really interesting. Archaeologists tell us that, um, you know, people have been living on there and there was a village site there up until about for about 10,000 years. So oh, wow. we think about our role on the land. We are just, you know, the next step of at least 10,000 years of human presence and ecological stewardship. And so the way that we think about the land is how can we take this kind of like Noble Hill, how can we take this resource and not own it, but honor it and engage with it in a way that um, is not just sustainable, but what would we call regenerative, healing the land and restoring it after, you know, the last hundred years, which has been people running cattle and abusing it. And so we kind of see ourselves as stewards and like rehabilitating it. So um, I don't do a lot of work on the farm, to be honest. That's more my brother's purview. And you could talk to him. He's a really fascinating tree musician and uh, sorry, tree farmer and musician. But basically what we're doing is um, 
a lot of what's called riparian restoration. Um, we have a lot of creek property and doing stuff with the Department of Conservation to restore that waterway and keeping cattle out and just kind of letting the land restore itself and to be more the way it was 200 years ago and before. We're also doing a lot of, um, um, one of the trends of food production is a lot of our nuts are grown in California. And you know that California is running out of water and facing just devastating supply chain issues that are just gonna get worse and worse with fuel prices and labor crises and water shortages that part of what we're doing is showing people how to use their land in a more regenerative way, but frankly, in a more profitable way with specialty nut production and um, walnuts and different things like that. I think one thing that's really exciting about that is that um, we, Proxman Farms is not really intended to be a production farm where we're maximizing the food that we're growing. But I think, um, like I've heard people talk about sustainability and some people talk about sustainability, like it's like you're going to church and you know you gotta do this or else the earth's gonna burn up and won't you feel bad about that? So there's this guilt thing. Um, but another philosophy is like sustainability has to be a party that everybody wants to go to. So let's make it fun. And so I think what we're doing at the farm is making something that is so fun and inviting and intoxicatingly generous that people wanna be a part of it. So what we think about is very much, how do we create an experience that people want to be a part of it. So we've done a lot of walk tours and what's called forest bathing, which is like kind of forest therapy where people walk through the woods and are talk through being present in their surroundings. It can be a very therapeutic and healing experience for a lot of people. My brother um, has done, the tree farmer has been planting trees. Um, he did this thing called, if you go to the website, there's something called tree hinge. So he's planted this 400 foot wide or 500 foot wide tree planting that's a series of concentric rings and when you walk through it it's um i don't know if you're familiar with a labyrinth which is a form of meditative walking where you kind of walk through this maze and like think and contemplate and it's a big thing in europe and kind of celtic christian cultures so this labyrinth basically of trees you walk through and it's gonna change the seasons of different plants growing and planting, and you can pick the berries as you walk through. But the idea is an ecological future that's food producing, that is also an intoxicatingly fun experience. So creating a sustainability vision that's not only makes money and is sustainable financially, but also is fun and experiential. So I think that's been a lot of the anchor of our experience, of our stuff is, you know, pizza, we have a pizza oven doing pizza parties out there and walking around and inviting people out and convening people that the food is important, the growing is important, the experience is important, but it's really about showing people what's possible. And I think, again, like it's less about the land, but it's more about the attitude that we take to any land that anybody could do this and that you know, there's a certain amount of resources we've invested in, but there's nothing is, you know, we live in an area with Bass Pro and Johnny Morris, who's the president of Bass Pro, is doing some really crazy stuff um, everywhere, and he spends millions and millions of dollars on that, and that's cool, but I think when people look at that, they say, I could never do that because I'm not a billionaire, and I think what we're trying to show people is regardless of who you are, even if you just have, you know, a couple acres on the back 40, like there's exciting things you can do with pollinator plots, planting trees, and a humane engagement with the land and creating experiences that is in inherently inviting, good for you, good for the land. And yeah, yeah, everybody can do it. And so we're trying to show people to do that. That's awesome. And I, I liked your, your kind of analogy, your, your, your church analogy there. Um, because, you know, I feel like when you talk, when, when people, not not you, but when when people talk about sustainability and and protecting the environment and that kind of stuff, you know, a lot of people, and maybe maybe they don't, but you know, think of people rallying in front of you know crazy hippies, you know, that are you know just kind of 
shaming you or whatever, which to your point, isn't the case, but it's cool that, that you all have created that experience where, you know, maybe someone that, that does envision that when you say sustainability or environmentalism or whatever, that you're, you're showing them the outcomes in a different way to kind of, you know, almost create a, a ripple effect in that sense where they start connecting the dots that, that it's not as it, it doesn't have to be as crazy as what you think it is, you know, where, you know, you have to have a big greenhouse, like crazy in that sense, where you have to have this, this whole, um, you know, your own, own waste methane to do your, your greenhouse work like that. You can do something as simple as this on your land or, or somebody yeah. else and do that and kind of get that experience. So it's cool that you've, like you said, kind of created the, the experience around a cause that is obviously important. Um, to kind of shift that mindset once again. So that's awesome. And I think, and one more thing about that, I think a lot of it comes down to um, kind of an experience storytelling, experiences as a storytelling experience. Um, and going back to the camps, like hospitality, like I haven't really worked in restaurants, but hospitality is a big part of what I do. I, I also host a lot of, you know, when we're not in the middle of a pandemic, do a lot of potlucks and my brother and our roommate and a bunch of volunteers have been doing these um, kind of immersive theme parties that are like, we call them air glows. And so we did a time travel party right before the pandemic that was an immersive theme party that was, you know, an Egyptian dance temple in the back was this cave that we built. It was in, it was, it, it was as crazy as it sounds, um, <laughs> but it ended up being this really crazy, um, immersive experience that was anchored around hospitality that creating space for people to have fun and also be themselves in a self safe way. And I think, um, with everything I want to do is I want people to feel safe. I want to be seen. I want them to feel like welcomed. And I also want to blow their minds, honestly, like, and I think when you create a sense of hospitality coupled with a sense of wonder and remarkability, people notice that. And especially in a way that is empowering, that they recognize that not everybody has a farm, not everybody has a tree farm, not everybody has a greenhouse, not everybody wants to plant a party, but everybody has something to contribute that they start to reimagine their own lives that maybe they can create cool stuff too. And so doing it in such a way that it's accessible and um, people can volunteer and be a part of it is also really important for me. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's great. Um, so, so, so to that point, sort of, you know, one question I always like to ask our guests is kind of one piece of advice for our listeners. Um, and so I guess I feel like, you know, the, the appropriate question for you in this case would be, you know, if somebody, you know, maybe they, they went to one of those events and had that experience or went to the farm and had that experience. And then, you know, maybe before they weren't, didn't necessarily care about the word sustainability you know they heard it they didn't really care but then that part that sparked their interest they start thinking about their land or maybe they don't have land maybe they're you know just in a neighborhood or whatnot what what would be i guess the the piece of advice that you offer them to kind of get started in that in that sense you know whether they have land whether they don't have land just to kind of start you know making those steps you know, toward, towards that understanding the benefits, which would of course also kind of create a ripple effect within their friend group and their family and that kind of stuff as well. Is there like, what is the, the simplest way, I guess, to get started in that sense? There's a couple of ways to answer that. And I think on a very practical level, um, there are always opportunities to volunteer. If you want to get involved in like gardening or sustainable agriculture, um, like here in Springfield, there's a group called Springfield Community Gardens. It has, I'm on the board of it. Um, and we have 20 community gardens that grow food for food shelters and residents. Um, and these are small community run gardens that are sited at, you know, at churches and in parks and at schools and at hospitals. And so, um, that's something Springfield Community Gardens is something you can be involved with here in Springfield as a volunteer. And just starting with that could be a really great way to just get involved. And wherever you are in the country, there are things like that. Volunteering at a community garden is a really great way to plug in with people 
um, that are thinking in the same way, what I consider a regenerative way. Um, but I think on a larger sense, um, I think we're all called to be sustainable and um, live on the land in a way that's respectful and you know, helps future generations be successful and survive. But I think also not all of us are called to be renewable energy people or gardeners or sustainability folks. And I think honoring the very essence of our individual selves is also important. Some of us are called to be artists or school teachers or stay-at-home dads or stay-at-home moms, which is equally valid in a way of creatively engaging with the world that we need. And so I think just part of it is just listening to yourself and who you are and paying attention to that and being willing to take small steps to honor that individual essence of what you are. One thing that's been helpful for me is um, I sometimes feel like I have to see where everything is gonna go before I engage with something new. And I think what I've learned, you know, Martin Luther King uh, said, um, you don't have to see the whole stairway to take the first step. And, you know, Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. And so you plant the seed and then it grows. And I think what I've learned about my life that I've lived with people is that um, great things start, almost all wonderful things started with a seed. And it might be a very small thing like, you know, I'm interested in this sustainability. I want to have coffee with someone or I'm interested in being a musician or an artist. I want to have coffee with someone or sign up for this workshop. Sometimes those very small things grow into mighty forests of creativity and ideas, but every, like there's a saying of the Ozarks, great oaks from little acorns grow. I've learned more and more is that if you have something inside of you that you feel a deep calling, that's often a still small voice, that's not necessarily an ego thing, but a deeper calling, uh, that sometimes is a sense of desperation. Like I have to do this. I feel like I'm missing part of myself. I think listen to that voice and plant that small seed and take that small next step because it always, there's always a next step to take and it always leads to another step and um, be willing to listen to your life and embrace that. And I, I think honestly with Noble Hill and I'm, I see myself as an artist. I do a bunch of other woodworking creative stuff and these theme parties are also an artist thing. And um, the big reason why I've done that the last couple of years is that I recognized that my essence was an artist and I needed to take small steps towards that. And I see sustainability as an art project too you know, basically taking something difficult and creating an interesting answer versus like a yes or no answer. Um, but everything starts with a small step and being brave to take that and not feel the need to, don't feel like, don't, don't be diminished by the smallness of it. Just take that small step. And I think you'll be surprised where that leads you. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I love it. I think, I think all that's very important, you know, no matter what, uh, whatever your passion is, you know, as far as, you know, that, that small step to kind of get, get you started. So, so uh, to that point, where can people find you online? I know you mentioned a couple of websites and stuff earlier, but if you want to, you know, shout them out again as well. So people can, um, you know, our listeners can to, uh, learn more about, you know, the projects you have on, uh, you know, they forgot how to get involved if they're here local in Springfield, or maybe they can pull some inspiration from, from what, what everyone's doing. Sure. Um, so I guess the three websites, if you want to learn more about our project, um, the Greenhouse Project, you can look at, type in noble, noblehillfarms.com and uh, just type in the website in the browser. It's a tiny Squarespace website because we're kind of under the radar, but um, it's not the horse farm in Virginia. It's Noble Hill Farms. <laughs> <laughs> So if you see a horse farm, you're on the wrong website. Anyway, so that'll talk a little bit more about what we're doing. And my email address is there. If you want to reach out, that's easy. As far as Instagram, I, a lot of my art stuff, I do a lot of foraging and kind of art stuff. And so kind of those personal projects, I usually put on my Instagram. 
Instagram is just Johnny Childs on Instagram. And yeah, you can DM me there if you want to know more. As far as our farm is concerned, um, Rockspan, R-O-C-K-S-P-A-N, farm. I think it's Rockspan Farm. Yeah, rockspanfarm.com. Um, you can go there. And my uncle built this crazy website that is overwhelming in the expansiveness of uh, crazy <laughs> science projects we're working on. So I don't know. Yeah, check that out there. Uh, and if, if folks want to reach out, feel free to reach out to me and um, are thinking about how to discern that next step. I'm always happy to have coffee with people or do a Zoom. And because I know I've been really helped by folks sharing perspectives and yeah, I'm happy to do that. Awesome. Well, everyone definitely make sure, um, you know, check out, you know, the Instagram, those websites, that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, he's, he's more than willing to, to help anybody that, that reaches out to him about a question, obviously, you know, working on some big projects and, you know, had, has had an interesting story. So, um, you know, definitely, definitely get involved that way. Um, but John, I thank you for taking the time and kind of explaining kind of the story, you know, over the past couple of years of how you got where you are and the impact you're meeting or, or making. And, um, I'm excited to kind of see, see what the future brings and, and how you're able to continue to grow here in Springfield. Thank you, Jeremy. It's been a real pleasure and, uh, yeah, good luck with this and thank you for having me on. Thanks for listening. And hey, if you made it this far and like what you've heard, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and let your friends know about life emotion. Until next time.